This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Thursday, February 1st, 2024. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be ranking the films of writer-director Matthew Vaughn. My name is Ben Pearson, I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. All right, Jacob. Uh, Matthew Vaughn has a new movie in theaters, I believe, technically today. It's called Argyle. Uh, Brad and I, I believe, the plan is for us to do a big spoiler discussion of that movie tomorrow. Um, as of right now, I have not seen Argyle yet. Have you seen it? Uh, no, but I have spoken to two people who have, and both uh, were pleasantly surprised, saying that it's a much better film than the trailers indicate. Oh, okay. Well, that's uh, promising. So Argyle is not going to be included in our ranking today. Um, But I thought that it would be a good opportunity, obviously, to just go back and look at uh, the movies that this guy's made before. And um, I want to start off with just a little bit of biographical information, kind of like catch people up in case he's not quite the household name that, uh, that he might seem. So he produced a crime thriller called The Innocent Sleep in 1995. And then boom, his next two movie uh, credits were producing Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch for director Guy Ritchie. And those movies totally revitalized the British gangster genre and helped launch careers of people like Jason Statham and Vinnie Jones and Tom Hardy and even Dexter Fletcher, who went on to direct things like Eddie the Eagle and Rocket Man. And then in 2004, Matthew Vaughn slid into the director's chair and made his directing debut with his own version of one of those gangster films called Layer Cake. And from there, he continued to direct movies, write movies. He also produced some stuff that he did not direct, like the Michael Caine thriller Harry Brown, which I enjoyed, uh, Josh Trank's Fantastic Four, which I did not, <laughs> and then uh, the Taron Edgerton Tetris movie that came out last year, for example. So uh, I, I think it's safe to say... Real quick, and, and, and just say that looking at his filmography, it's unusual because I have incredibly mixed feelings on Matthew Vaughn as a filmmaker, but uh, would Daniel Craig have been James Bond without Layer Cake? <laughs> I mean, I, I just think that it was a quiet level of influence i think on the last 15 years of action cinema from matthew vaughn whether you like his movies or not just because he saw daniel craig in this kind of role before anybody else did yeah 100 percent. and i think i I kind of feel like that um the level of impact um the ripple effect from layer cake should maybe be factored into where it falls on this list uh I, i don't know because because like you said that that's such a a calling card for Daniel Craig. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll get there in just a second. The, the only other thing that I was going to say about him is that I think he's probably best known as a director these days. And I just wanted to ask you, Jacob, like, uh, would you call yourself a fan of Matthew Vaughn's films? Oh, that's a tough question because I, I like some Matthew Vaughn films. I don't like some others. Looking at his work as a producer and looking at his movies conceptually, 
He always seems to have an eye for talent. His movies are full of really talented people, and they're always are they're often built on really sound ideas, really sound premises, really sound aesthetics. The idea of what if an X Men movie in the '60s, uh, starring um, Michael Fassbender, is like whoa, what a great idea. The execution is something that I have mixed feelings on. I feel similarly about the Kingsman movies. The idea of what if we'd made a hyper violent James Bond riff, uh, like leans on all of the uh, Bond iconography, but in a really transgressive way. I'm like, oh, I'm on board. But the movie itself, I have mixed feelings on. I think that while he's a he's made movies I like as a director, I think he has a producer's instincts, and maybe he struggles a bit as an actual storyteller. But we hmm. can get to that. Yeah, that's interesting. I kind of think of him as a provocateur. Um, but I, I think if you look a little closely, that's probably because he's worked a lot with Mark Miller, the screenwriter, who's one of the most like, I would say gleefully provocative comic book writers of the past 30 years, probably. Um, I assume you have some feelings on Miller and his work. Um, I, mm, I think Mark Miller is 75% trash. And <laughs> I think he writes really, really good elevator pitches, but his actual comics tend to be absolute garbage. Yeah, I, I've not like tapped in as much to the actual comics, but that's the sense that I've gotten. And, you know, having write, written about like movie news and stuff over the past, whatever, however many years it's been that I've been doing this, um, you've I, I've seen his name pop up a lot with like those pitches that you're talking about, those log lines. And he's really great at producing those. It's coming at coming up with those concepts. Um, but it, it seems to me like he just really, really, really likes pushing people's buttons. And he seems to have found a partner in Matthew Vaughn in you know somebody who um maybe likes to push buttons almost almost as much maybe not quite as much as mark miller because i don't know if there in, there is anybody that likes to do it quite as much as him uh but vaughn certainly seems to be like a um you know they, they seem to be like kindred spirits in that way so uh it's interesting to think about vaughn's filmography and and sort of like uh, bisect it into the movies that he worked with Mark Miller on and then the ones that he didn't and the ones that he did not are like drastically different tonally. Uh, so interestingly, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. But um, I guess do you have any like other, other sort of like broad thoughts about Vaughn before we dive into the actual ranking at all? Well, I mean, I'm going to be negative from the start here, but I think that one of the things that kind of defines his filmmaking post layer cake is a general sense of sloppiness. And I think that Films like X-Men First Class and Kick-Ass and Kingsman, they all feel weirdly unfinished. I feel like when I watch them, I feel like there's another few months of post left in them. I feel like they were abandoned uh, with a lot of things completely undone. And I thought this was a coincidence at first. Like, I remember watching X-Men First Class vividly and thinking, wow, a lot of this film feels really cheap, especially in the back half. Like they were out of money. But this pervades a lot of his films, and it makes you wonder what's going on. Is, is, it, is it a taste thing? Is, 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 is what he find acceptable, not what I find acceptable? And even when his films have an energy I enjoy, I genuinely think they always feel like they could have used more time in the post-production oven. And I don't know if that's just me or not. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I've not, I don't think that I've thought that in the past. Um, he kind of has like a slickness as a director that, that seems like, um, I don't know, it, it seems like kind of divisive, I guess. Like it, you're either on board for the aesthetic of his movies and, and the kind of, uh, sometimes nasty tone of his movies or you're not. So I, I can certainly understand that. Um, but I, I guess I can't say with the exception of one movie that we'll talk about here very, very quickly um, that I I've been like uh, th that I've thought that the movie was like so dramatically um, 
like undercooked that it needed <laughs> a whole nother pass or something. But, uh, but yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, he, he's definitely a, a guy that like uh, provokes strong reactions from audiences and in, in a myriad of different ways. So uh, let's take a break and then we'll get right into the ranking. Okay, Jacob. So I have like a loose ranking here and uh, I figure that you and I can kind of like jointly create one sort of as we go along. So I think the best way, best way to proceed here is for me to just present to you my ranking and then we'll talk about each movie as we list it. And then, you know, maybe at the very end, we'll go over uh, the, the overall order and, and sort of, or maybe even as the conversation flows, we'll move things around and, and sort of try to come to some sort of consensus here by the end of this thing. So uh, the movie that I have at the number seven slot, he's directed seven movies, well, eight, including Argyle, but the number seven slot I have is uh, Kingsman, the Golden Circle, which is a movie that I found so um, repellent that I, I turned it off midway through, or maybe even like 30 or 40 minutes in, uh, which is something I almost never do. I was just like, straight up not in the mood for his brand of nonsense the day that I tried to watch this movie. And I think this, if I'm correct, this is the only Matthew Vaughn directorial effort that you've not seen. Is that right? Yeah, I, I skipped this one and I'm not 100% sure why. I think the first Kingsman is fine. And, uh, but something about this, something about the marketing just turned me off in a way that I have a hard time explaining. I, it, it just felt, repellent is the right word. Uh, I just felt like, no, thank you. <laughs> I saw the marketing for this. So I, I will, you know, stand on the sidelines for this one and, and not commit beyond, you know, just I had zero interest and I, I should be the target audience for this. Yeah, it was, I think there was something about like the, the marketing did not do it much, many favors. In my opinion, I thought like the idea of expanding the Kingsman um, ranks out to like include Channing Tatum as a cowboy like I don't know th there was just like a level of ridiculousness that um you know I I quite enjoyed the first Kingsman we'll talk about that shortly but uh yeah there was something about this one that felt I don't know more crass or something to me um and then like actually watching it um it really felt like it was trying to gross the audience out and kind of like take things so far over the top even in the first 30 minutes that I was just like you know what I'm I'm just completely not on board with what you're doing here and I've never gone back and tried to revisit it maybe like the back half has some incredible action or something that's worthwhile but um so yeah I would encourage writers to, or, or uh, uh, listeners to write in emails and let us know if like I'm you know maybe not giving this movie a fair shake or whatever if there's like something that would be uh, worth recommending about Kingsman Golden Circle. So for well, now, we'll just... I bet I'll jump in. I, I saw five minutes of this movie at Comic-Con. Oh, okay. What came out. They showed a, an, an Act 1 car chase. I remember watching that car chase in Comic-Con going, wow, this feels unfinished. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess to be fair, maybe it was because it was maybe at Comic-Con. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. We'll see. But uh, okay, let, let's leave that at number seven. Um, my number six would be The King's Man, which is a movie that came out in 2021. I just watched this for the first time this morning to prepare for our conversation. Um, I kind of found this to be just like aggressively fine. It, it, it is not really a big action movie in the same way that the other Kingsman movies are where they have like... Uh, you know, I guess like gigantic set pieces every few minutes and like propulsive narratives that kind of get you from one set piece to the next. This is much, the action seemed much more spread out and thinned out throughout the movie. And it's more of a kind of a family drama between uh, Ray Fiennes and Harris Dickinson, who plays his son. Um, and I just didn't really find it super compelling. It's It's a really strange movie because it tries to, 
uh, place the Kingsman origin story into the middle of um, World War One, and like I, it plays really fast and loose with history. Uh, so I'm curious what your take on the Kingsman is, Jacob. Uh, I think I've talked about this before, but I'm a sucker for any kind of genre story that's set in the past. Uh, like if you have to spend money on costumes and special and cars um, to like complete a, a scene and uh, for like a big action movie, then I'm already I'm already going to be like have one foot in the corner of that film. Like. Uh, for me, the gold standard for this is the Rocketeer. Like, the, did the Rocketeer need to take place in 1930s? Maybe, kind of, sort of. But the fact that it does makes Rocketeer a masterpiece for me because, like, the fact that it's an action, you know, superhero movie uh, set in Golden Age Hollywood is just like, oh, this is just my kind of thing. Kind of like how, like, you know, anytime you tell a Dracula story in the past, I'm like, oh yeah, this is great horror, science fiction, uh, action. To me, seeing it when you're when you when you're as far removed from the um, present as possible mm-hmm. so the king's man being a matthew vaughn action movie you know maybe not as bombastic as the other ones in the series uh but being set during world war one uh just instantly makes it more interesting to me and uh ray fines does the ray fines things where he shows up and uh is so completely like seri- even when he's sleepwalking through a role and you really can't tell because his default is uh, to take him seriously. And I take him seriously in this movie. Um, and it's, I don't know, the combination of Ray Fiennes plus the setting uh, elevates this one for me. Uh, I, think, I think this is fun, uh, albeit also sometimes feeling kind of sloppy. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, maybe we'll revisit the placement on this list. Um, the next one I have is Layer Cake, which is, as we mentioned, his sort of riff on that British gangster movie that was so popular in the early 2000s. This one has like, a great cast like Ben Wishaw is in this. Uh, Michael Gambon is in this. Cole Meany, um, Tom Hardy, uh, Burn Gorman, Sally Hawkins, like the, Jason Fleming. There's like a really, really great collection of actors here. And it's been a while since I've seen this all the way through, but I was rewatching some clips on YouTube and stuff. And like, there's a there's a um, a confidence in the filmmaking here, like a, a slickness that that doesn't feel like the Kingsman movies feel overly slick. I think maybe to its detriment because it's trying so hard to replicate what might be, you know, one of the slickest film franchises of all time, which is the James Bond movies. Um, but uh, um, Layer Cake is, is much more like down and dirty and a little grimier, um, but it has like a, a cool factor to it um, that I think even holds up, you know, pretty well, uh, given that it came out all those years. It came out in 2004, so 20 years ago now. Um, what are your uh, Layer Cake thoughts, Jacob? I remember liking Layer Cake. I cannot tell you a thing about the plot. I cannot tell you what happens in this movie other than Daniel Craig's cool in it. It's one of those films where I, th- I think that... It ha- I have a similar thing with Guy Ritchie, whose films I also generally think are pretty good, uh, which is that the style is very invigorating when you're watching it, uh, but it, it doesn't linger with me. Um, Daniel Craig being in this film is a huge deal. Like th- This is you know, evidence that he could carry a movie, evidence that he could be James Bond, and it remains probably one of the most important films for action cinema uh, of this century so far because of what it would lead to. Mm-hmm. So Larry Cake is just obscenely important. Like, we cannot discount, like, the James Bond producer saw this movie and said, oh, is this our guy? And it led to perhaps the greatest stretch of Bond ever, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's the movie itself. Ben, I can't tell you a thing about it. I yeah, I, I, I kind of feel the same way about Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch, too, to be honest with you. It's just like, you know, it, it, it kind of reminds me of like the old, um, I don't know, like uh, The Big Sleep and the Maltese Falcon and some of those like old Bogart movies, right? Where like there are stories about um, 
uh, screenwriters calling up Raymond Chandler and being like, hey, what what's going on with the, you know, this person in this story? And, and Chandler, you know, this hard boiled detective fiction writer who wrote these stories on which these movies were based would basically just kind of throw up his hands and be like, I don't fucking know, man. Like it's it's like a naughty, twisty story. And I kind of like lost the thread at a certain point. And so it's more about like the vibes than it is about like tracking, you know, each individual plot line or whatever. And these gangster movies kind of feel that same way to me. Like I, I couldn't really tell you the ins and outs of the criminal enterprises that these characters are participating in or whatever. But um, you know, it sure does like seem cool. And it had that like, that like, uh, yeah, like reinvigorating style that, um, that really like, I feel like had an influence on other action movies beyond, you know, outside of like the, the, uh, the British Isles or whatever you want to call it. So, um, okay. So that's number five right now. Uh, I, I put kick-ass at number four. This movie was like, I was writing about movies professionally at this point when, when this came out in 2010 and this movie was a big, big deal. And I was kind of shocked to see that it, worldwide, it only made $96 million because it feels, and that's like uh, pretty low. That's the second lowest for any of Matthew Vaughn's directing efforts. Um, but it feels like so much more um, culturally relevant than a movie that li- made less than $100 million at the box office. You know, it just feels like there were so many conversations about this movie at the time. Um, but what do you remember about the kick-ass sort of phenomenon at that period? You're right. This was an example of the film bubble uh, was obsessed with kick-ass, uh, both positively and negatively. It was something that everybody in our industry talked about constantly. If you were a film fan, you went and saw it and you had an opinion on it. It just, like you said, it was not as big of a hit as it was a conversation piece. And I have very mixed feelings on the film. Uh, there's stuff in here I think is incredibly entertaining. I think that um, Nicolas Cage is doing one of his baddiest performances. And there's stuff in here that I like and some action beats I think are neat. And it's a huge improvement over the comic. The comic is absolute garbage uh the the movie actually uh rightfully sands off the comics most um repulsive ideas um but i think it's just okay overall i i i i I struggle with this one i'm struggling here ben yeah i struggle with this one because i think i've not revisited it fully again i watched some clips and stuff and i feel like i would not like this movie nearly as much now as i did at the time and that's probably you know the the culture was so different in 2010 than it is now and also i'm so different as a person than i was but like this was very much like right in my wheelhouse when it came out so it's always interesting to try to like evaluate your experiences uh, and and relationship to a movie like that, that hit me at at such the right time in my life. But like, I probably looking back on it now would not call it a great movie. You know, it's just like one of those, uh, one of those things. So um, it's it's a person for, it's a movie made for young, angry men. And in 2010, I was younger and angrier. I wouldn't call myself young and angry, but uh, whereas Something like Fight Club, I think, holds up beyond the scrutiny of being angry. Like, once you age up and mature a little bit, it's still a great movie, uh, even though there's a certain sub, you know, subsection of people who, you know, misinterpret that film. Whereas I think Kick-Ass is, is just, hey, are you angry? Let's kill some people and make it look really cool. And there's, and there's a place for that kind of action in cinema. It's just that I feel that there's not much substance to Kick-Ass beyond the, the power fantasy of it. And like I said, you can enjoy Power Fantasy just fine. They're like I, I've talked about this recently on, on several podcasts, but I've been binging all the Jack Reacher books on audiobook. Um, and that to me is like 
as, as, as a guy in my mid thirties, that's, that's ideal, my ideal kind of power fantasy, um, of entertainment. Whereas I think kick-ass is if you're 21, 22, this is your power fantasy. And I, mm-hmm. I'm, that's, I'm just no longer there. And the second movie is like absolute trash and like incredibly toxic and just really, really awful. Um, but I remember thinking the first movie was not nearly as bad, but I'm sure it has like some pretty rough patches in it going back. You know, if I were to go back and revisit it in full, um, the things that I was kind of entertained by uh, in revisiting clips from it were that like Aaron Taylor Johnson's character, the main character sets up a MySpace page taking crime fighting requests, which very much like puts it squarely in, you know, that era. And then um, the big daddy and hit girl relationship, the, the Nicholas Cage and Chloe Grace Moretz relationship uh, feels kind of like Matthew Vaughn doing a riff on, Jean Reno and Natalie Portman's relationship in The Professional. Um, and I remember Hit Girl in particular, not only launching Chloe Grace Moretz into the mainstream, but like being a, a big talking point around this movie is like... People were so mad. Yeah, they I, were. <laughs> people were so mad that this little girl being an assassin. And I don't know, I guess I, I've i seen enough weird genre cinema over the years to be totally nonplussed by a young assassin. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I remember being like really just confused by how mad people were about the reaction <laughs> scenes yeah uh okay so kick-ass is number four as of right now um i i put kingsman the secret service at, at number three um this is a movie that I, I again i kind of have mixed feelings about i appreciate the bond riff i appreciate the style of it i thought taron edgerton this is the first movie that i'd seen him in and i thought he was like fantastic and did exactly what this movie asked, asked him to do. Uh, and really, I, I feel like this movie served as a, a nice launch pad for him to be able to do other things. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't love it as much as I did in 2015 when it came out, but um, but I'm still kind of fond of it. I, I appreciate aspects of it. Where do you stand on the first Kingsman movie? I like uh, the first Kingsman movie. Um, I think Taron Edgerton, as you said, is fantastic. I mean, he's, he's, he's become such an interesting actor in the past 10 years. He's really stretched himself and tried new things. And uh, I've really enjoyed watching him evolve as a performer. And you can see a lot of those roots here where he's uh, funny and charismatic. And I think he's the, the right level of surprise. I, I think sometimes you have an action hero who's you know nonplussed throughout the proceedings, whereas the way he plays his character is uh, very much like, Wow, this is a really strange thing that's happening to me. And I, and I, I like that. That's always on the edge of his performance. Uh, I once again, I think that large swaths of this film feel really shaky on a production level, and I can't. That's that's thing I'm apparently I can't get over with Matthew Vaughn movies. I, I one person's slickness is another person's sloppy. Maybe I don't know, but the, I I think the idea of taking the real old school like. Uh, Thunderball, you only live twice era James Bond aesthetic. Like there's literally secret layers and wild gadgets. Like taking that very broad, almost almost the kind of James Bond angles that Austin Powers parodied, but giving mm-hmm. them uh real world context and having them become like the subject of, of R-rated action scenes, it's a really cool choice. And once again, this is a much better than comic. The, the Kingsman comic is actually a really dull affair. It has none of the James Bond stuff. It is really a straightforward and for Mark Miller, really boring um, and toothless uh, comic, which is usually the opposite of what his <laughs> of his issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that the movie makes a huge improvement on it. Um, I wish it felt a little bit more coherent, and I'm I'm still not so sure. I guess we could we can spoil stuff here. Um, only like in the, in the middle of the Obama presidency, I'm not so sure blowing up Obama's head 
felt like a good choice at the time or now. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I don't know. I, I, I it's, it's a, it's definitely transgressive. Like, like I said, like he, 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 like he likes to push buttons. And I remember watching it at the theaters, going, "Oh, buttons are going to get pushed." He, he's not just pushing a button; he's jamming down on it. So I, <laughs> I, I, at least I'm not sure how I feel about it, but I, I admire the gumption. So yeah, I, I like Kingsman. Yeah, and the that scene in the church, right, or the chapel or whatever it is, where like uh, Leonard Skinner's Freebird is playing, and <laughs> people are like Colin Firth in particular is just murdering people left and right. Like it is, it is um, that scene in particular. I feel like was designed to you know be a part of like Fox News outrage cycles for weeks on end or whatever. So uh, yeah, that, that's definitely like the example I think from the the, <laughs> the Obama head exploding scene and the church massacre or slaughter or whatever i feel like were uh the examples from the kingsman movies um that really like stand out to me as as being like matthew vaughn and mark miller just like like cackling to themselves in the corner at what they wrought basically so um yeah I, i'm not like as much of a fan of that that uh mode of their storytelling but there's enough other good stuff in kingsman the secret service for me to like it and, and rank it you know this high in his filmography um the one movie, Jacob, that I, I was the most surprised by is Stardust, the movie that came out in 2007 uh, that is like an adventure fantasy kind of thing. It, again, it had a terrific cast. Charlie Cox, who I had no idea who that was at the time. Obviously, we'd go on to play Daredevil. He's the lead here. Uh, but like Ian McKellen is the narrator and Sienna Miller's in this. Henry Cavill has a small part. Uh, Mark Strong, who's a, a um, Matthew Vaughn mainstay, plays one of the main villains in this. Uh, Michelle Pfeiffer is in this. Robert De Niro is in this. Ricky Gervais pops up in a small role. Uh, Claire Danes is the female lead. Like just again, he's always been really great at casting. Um, but this movie was the biggest surprise for me because I remember seeing this in 2007 when it came out and not really thinking much of it. But I revisited it uh, a couple nights ago and I just kind of fell in love with this movie. Um, do you have any strong Stardust feelings? I don't, think, I don't have strong feelings, but I like it quite a bit. This is probably my favorite Matthew Vaughn movie. It's because it's the one that feels uh, the most coherent. It's really put together. I think it's a lot because, because his material is worked with is Neil Gaiman, one of the great living writers uh, of, of not just fantasy, but in general. And even though, like his other adaptations, he does a lot of changes. He expands the scope. He adds a bit more adventure, a bit more daring do than it's in the book, which is more of a straightforward fantasy romance. It is um, uh, just a really lovely film. It feels... Uh, mid-scale in a way I feel satisfying. I love that the stakes are really just about uh, these two young lovers as opposed to like world-ending sh- ending stuff. Mm-hmm. There's some real goofy, sweet, uh, endearing material in this film. I know you and I discussed this uh, offline. We compared it to Princess Bride. And while maybe not level of Princess Bride, it definitely uh, is in the same ballpark for sure. Yeah, I think at least, so. At least, at least in terms of its intentions, it's it's a, it's a really good movie. You know, it, it would be my number one on this list, honestly. Wow. Yeah, I, I'm I might be able to be convinced to put it at number one after this rewatch, and I would not have said that uh, before rewatching it. But like, I, I just kind of found myself really swept away by the charms of it. I thought like this is the movie that feels the least like Matthew Vaughn of all of his movies to me because I think there's it's like wholly devoid of irony, right? Like there's a lot of stuff, even in the Kingsman movies, you're talking about uh, Taron Edgerton having a little bit of that kind of like, um, wow, I can't believe this stuff is happening to me. He also, he does that very well, but he also has like a little bit of a smirk that he can put on and kind of like almost wink at the camera. And Charlie Cox in this movie does not do that at all. And like, I feel like the movie is better off for it. It's just kind of like a straight ahead kind of thing without any of that sort of, 
irony that infuses so many of Vaughn's other projects. Um, so yeah, and, and obviously the source material is, is really strong. So, uh, and we should also mention uh, Jane Goldman, a name that we haven't talked about at all, but she was uh, Matthew Vaughn's co-writer for a lot of the movies that he worked on. And I think lent, um, you know, the, the, a lot of these films, uh, a, a sort of like a heart that, um, that probably wouldn't have been there otherwise. So I, I think she's just like a super talented uh, person that definitely, you know, uh, I guess contributed in some way to like the rise of Matthew Vaughn. You know, we, we think of directors as auteurs and, and sometimes writers can kind of uh, get um, pushed aside or swept under the rug. And I feel like she was like as much of a part of his success as uh you know, as like his, his own contributions in the writing and stuff. So um, just a, a quick shout out to Jane Goldman. So uh, yeah, Stardust, like fantastic movie. I recommend going back and, and checking that out if you haven't yeah. seen it a long I, time. I wonder if like the Stardust, I remember at the time got really like mixed reviews and it was definitely not a box office hit. I think that maybe sent Matthew Vaughn chasing down his current avenue, which is, you know, lots of action, big, violent action, spies, superheroes. And, you know, it's done well for him. But I really wish that this had done well. So Matthew Vaughn maybe could have shown his softer side more often because I, th I think this is a side of him that I enjoy more than his kick ass and his Kingsman side. Yeah. Yeah. So his first movie made a uh, layer cake made $11 million worldwide. And then Stardust was the second movie. It actually, I remember it being not big of a, not, uh, you know, a big hit either because it, it kind of has like no cultural staying power. Like you don't really hear many conversations about Stardust these days, but I went back and looked and it actually made $137 million, which is more than kick-ass. Like kick-ass only made 96. That's a lot so, more than I expected. In, in, in my memory, this was a, not that. So wow, yeah. you consider me corrected. Yeah, I mean, and I think he's said like it it did well, but not well enough to justify a sequel or anything like that. And like the Kingsman movies made Kingsman: The Secret Service made four hundred fifteen million dollars worldwide. So like we're talking you know orders of magnitude bigger than than the success of Stardust. So uh, this movie would have had to like really um, super overperform in order to I think drive him down that path that you're talking about. Um, but yeah, it was a a surprisingly more successful movie than I remember it being. So, um, so I, I, Jacob, I put number one on here in my loose list, X-Men first class, which is the, obviously if people have been tracking this, they know that that's the one movie we haven't talked about yet. Uh, and I remember loving this movie when it came out. I think it's probably still among, you know, it's certainly in like the elite sort of like top tier pantheon for me in terms of superhero movies. I feel like there's probably only, I don't know, eight or 10 movies I would put above it. Um, in terms of like the the superhero genre, if you want to call it that, um, just because I thought that you know that that uh, '60s setting I thought was like exceptionally well done, and once again the casting here, uh, you got James McAvoy, you've got Michael Fassbender, you've got a young Jennifer Lawrence, like before she was like a huge uh, superstar. I mean, she had just basically been in Winter's Bone the year before this, and this was like one of the movies you know even before Hunger Games that really like helped launch her to like international superstardom. Uh, Kevin Bacon was a surprise to me. I did not really remember him being uh, as entertaining and charismatic and fun to watch as the terrible villain in this movie. Um, so there's just like a lot to recommend, I think, about this film, and and the supporting cast is terrific, and I just think it's like exceptionally well executed for an X-Men movie. And there was a lot of talk I remember at the time because Matthew Vaughn was attached to direct uh, X-Men 3, if you remember that. And then he basically like left the project, I think, because if I'm getting my facts straight, because Fox wanted to hit a certain release date with uh, X-Men 3. And he was like, I can't deliver the thing that you want me to deliver in that amount of time. So he just walked away and then Brett Ratner came in and that movie ended up being kind of a disaster. Um, but then he 
came, you know, returned to the X-Men world with first class. And uh, I thought really did a great job of sort of like revitalizing a franchise that seemed to be flagging a little bit after X3 and sort of reintroducing this, uh, you know, introducing like this new cast and breathing new life into it helped the X-Men movies go on to make a bunch more movies uh, in this sort of first class vein. None of them, I think, are as good as first class. But uh, where do you stand on sort of like Vaughn and his impact on the X-Men franchise? Yeah, this film really gave the second wind uh, for X-Men uh, after X-Men 3, which was a huge hit, but nobody likes it. Uh, and the this is the kind of movie that's good enough to help people forget things like X-Men Origins Wolverine. Um, I'm not as warm in this film as you are. I think that, once again, put something in the past, and I'm immediately you know on board in some capacity. I think the 60s setting is incredible. And I think everything with Professor X and Magneto is top tier like michael mm-hmm. Pass and his mcavoy have an incredible chemistry and all the stuff with magneto uh seeking vengeance is just excellent i know that the, that that was a remnants of a of a magneto film that didn't get made uh they picked up pieces of that and, and threaded it through here and there are parts of me i, I wish that that had been the film if it had been a smaller scale magneto travels the world getting revenge film this would have been like an all-timer for me because those scenes are so good uh I think the film suffers when it's about the actual first class. I think that outside of uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Nicholas Holt, the rest of the cast kind of feels not as interesting. I'm not investing them in, as characters or in their powers. I don't think they're especially interesting to watch. And once again, I think the third act in particular uh, feels just really dodgy on a technical level in a way that I have a hard time shaking. Mm. Uh, but the style, style here works. The costumes work. Uh, I, I, these are by far the best cinematic uh, X-Men costumes. I love the uh, yellow bodysuits. They, 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 the, the perfect blend of uh, uh, of what worked in the comics and what you know Brian Singer decided would work for the for the original uh, films. Uh, very reminiscent of uh, of Grant Morrison's X Men run, if people know that run. Uh, but yeah, I like this movie. It would not be my number one, uh, but I think maybe the Magneto and uh, and Professor X stuff may be the best stuff Vaughn has ever directed, even though it's not my favorite of his films. Okay, so let's try to figure out the the actual ranking here. I think it's probably safe to say that we can uh, keep um, <laughs> Kingsman the Golden Circle at number seven because I didn't really like that movie and you haven't seen it. So I feel like that's the only fair spot for it. Uh, do you think the Kingsman is... Um, deserves to be higher than number six on this list. No, but uh, I think it's where it is, but I think uh, Kick-Ass should be the next one on the list. Yeah, I think that's right. Based on our conversation, I feel like Kick-Ass should be moved to number five. Do you think Layer Cake makes sense for number four? Yeah, I think so. Okay, yeah. Um, and then, okay, so, so you know you know what? Let's let's just go ahead and jump to the top. Let's put Stardust at number one. I like that. That, that yes. feels like very us, you know? Like It yeah. feels like very much aligned with you and I, like our personal taste, maybe not necessarily aligned with like the reputation that Matthew Vaughn has carved out for himself as a storyteller. I think when people think of Matthew Vaughn as a director, they're not going to immediately think of Stardust. So I kind of like, there's a perverse part of me that wants to put it at number one just for that reason. Uh, but I actually do genuinely like the movie a lot. Um, so if with that at number one, then now we're just talking about number two and number three and it's basically does kingsman the secret surface go over x-men first class and i'm willing to to defer to you here because uh i think you like kingsman a little bit more and i like x-men first class a little bit more and i feel like we've done a good job of of sort of like slotting all the other ones in here so where do you think we should fall with these number two and number three options i think the magneto scenes seal x-men first class is number two 
Okay. I, I think I think that's the single best scenes in Matthew Vaughn's career. So um, X-Men First Class, number two, Kingsman Secret Service, number three. Okay. Yeah, I think we've done it, Jacob. I think uh, we've got some some good uh, stuff here. And I, I would encourage people to go back and, and check out Stardust again. I just like that was I, I cannot stress enough how big of a surprise that was because I just had not really thought about that movie much uh, when it came out. And um, and now I'll be thinking about it for quite some time. Robert De Niro. It, do you remember Robert De Niro in Stardust, Jacob? Like that was such a, uh, a trend. Again, like we've talked about Matthew Vaughn as being like this sort of transgressive filmmaker. De Niro, at the, especially at that time, and and still even to this day, like you know, he he's done like the Meet the Parents movies where he's like poked fun at himself a little bit, but he you know is like one of the all time titans of like American uh, acting, like capital A acting, and for him to be like one of the ultimate cinematic tough guys, and then basically be playing this sort of like uh, dread pirate Roberts, flying sky captain kind of like closeted character who is almost is much more in line with like steed bonnet's gentleman pirate from our flag means death than you know the, the sort of typical gangster characters that you might associate with de niro uh was just such a, a delightful surprise and like kind of felt even like a little um a little forward thinking a little ahead of its time for 2007 like the culture was not in a place in 2007 where that was like a widespread sort of even like except you know widely like uh, culturally acceptable thing on screens you know as ridiculous as that was um do you remember de niro's performance in, in stardust at all yes i remember pretty vividly because uh robert de niro playing a badass cross-dressing sky pirate is uh a bold move and maybe less bold in 2024 as you said but 2007 was pretty much oh uh this was unexpected and also very, very welcome to see a big mainstream movie like uh just openly embrace uh, a, a queer character like that. Um, like you said, more common now, but in 2007, it was like, oh, it felt it felt special. And I remember being in an audience and, and feeling discomfort, discomfort from some people in the vicinity of thinking, yes, feel, <laughs> feel uncomfortable with this. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's episode of the podcast. I think Hopefully, when Brad and I talk about Argyle in a deeper way tomorrow, um, I'll be able to maybe slot that film in on our list here for, for people who listen to the podcast every day. So uh, yeah, you can look forward to that and you can find more about all of Matthew Vaughn's movies at slashfilm.com. I will link to a few things in the show notes as well. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter, send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to take a moment to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That does help us out a lot. Tell your friends about the show any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow.